Guy here with a quick message before we get on with the pod. As a thank you to our most dedicated and loyal viewers and listeners to Blood Red, we're inviting you to join our Blood Red Club. By joining, you'll get access to insider transfer content as well as interviews with former favourites and those connected at Anfield. All you need to do is head to bloodredpodcast.co.uk, enter your email address and our exclusive content will head to your inbox. That's bloodredpodcast.co.uk. Thanks. Now on with the show. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's the Blood Red podcast. I'm Guy Clark, and thanks for joining us. As the 20th anniversary of him signing for Liverpool approaches, we've been catching up with former Reds keeper Chris Kirkland, looking back on his Anfield stay, his work with the LFC Foundation, and his thoughts on the current Liverpool side. We cover plenty of ground over the course of our chat. As well as all of that, the former keeper, who's campaigned tirelessly on the topic of mental health awareness since his retirement, speaks to us about his upcoming challenge with the walking and talking charity hikes group he's part of better known across social media as walking is brilliant enjoy the blood red podcast from the liverpool echo chris thanks a lot for for joining us uh, wanted to talk to you for a variety of reasons primarily though of course the stuff you're doing these days seeing very prominent on social media the hashtag walking is brilliant campaign that you, you're part of for the walking and talking charity hikes um for those who aren't aware, could you just sort of explain a, a, a bit about sort of what you guys, it's a group of ex-professionals, isn't it? What you guys sort of are trying to, to do and raise awareness of? Yeah, well, it's all, it's all, it's a mental health group. So it's all about mental health. It was, um, it's actually Mark Crosley that when he, he, found, he found himself out of the job for the first time in 30 years when he left Notts County and one of his friends just asked him to go for a walk and he admits himself now that if anyone would have said that to him before, he would have gone, oh, well, I don't want to go for a walk for... You know, but he started it up, found it really therapeutic, helped him. Obviously, he was missing the football and he was at a loss. And then he just got in contact. He knew I did a lot of walking. I always have. Um, I've always had dogs and always got out. It's just, a, it's just a great way just to get out, relax. You, you just seem to switch off and all your worries just seem to fade away slightly for a little bit while you're on the walks. And yeah, then it just grew. So obviously, Steve Howard, Dean Windass, John Parkin, Chris Brown. Um, there's a lot of comedians now. Gaz Marshall in it as well. Uh, Daz Yardley's doing it. There's so many names now. And then there's people that have joined it that have basically all suffered mental health, whether it's through loss, trauma, addiction, um, just, you know, sort of depression. It all leads back to mental health, though. So we all got together and we just started it off. Walking's brilliant. And uh, more and more people now are sending us videos of people we don't know, you know, and, and getting videos out there just so people watch these videos and know it's okay if they're not feeling great that day, knowing that they're not the only one that's not feeling great knowing there is a way about it and, and basically it's just talking and walking is the two best things you can do for your mental health. So it's um, we were meant to be doing Kilimanjaro this summer, but obviously like everything with COVID, it's been put back. But we are two weeks tomorrow doing um, the coast to coast. So Carlisle to, to um, Newcastle, taking in Adrian's Wall and we're doing it um, two weeks tomorrow. So we're all in training. I'm just out now on a 15 mile with Sam, but it's regretted at the minute it's been warm but we just don't know obviously the weather could be warm it could be cold but it's going to be a big ask because it's about 18 miles a day for five days solid um obviously variant heights variant meters which we climb and so it's going to be a massive ask it's going to be really tough um but we're doing it for mental health charities and the nhs and we're trying to raise as, as much as we can 
through this and then we've got so many plans going forward where hopefully we'll be able to put on walks up and down the country where people can come and talk and we'll get counsellors there and we'll get medical people there because they do need to talk to people but yeah it's just a way of getting people out and getting exercise and obviously exercise and talking are the two best things you can do for your, for your mental health so that's basically where it all started it's just it's it's gone big now it really has it's, we get so many messages off people and it's helped them it's helped us as well and we're just looking forward to what what we've got planned but obviously a lot of it's been put on hold we're meant to have a couple of golf days uh, they've been put on hold obviously through covid so we're just looking to rebook them in um, but yeah, going forward, it's it's exciting. It's what it's what's needed. It's helped us certainly. Listen, we still have bad days, but you know, even on the bad days, where you, it's the last thing you fancy doing, last thing you want to do, you know, get out, do some exercise, and you do feel better for it. Your mental health does feel a lot better for it. And uh, yeah, we're looking forward to well, looking forward to it and dreading it as well. Two weeks tomorrow. Yeah, no, m- most definitely. And uh, yeah, you've obviously been very sort of honest and open about sort of mental health struggles yourself. But I think it's been brilliant in terms of sort of men and getting men talking as well. It can be, I suppose, quite daunting to sort of tell people to open up and, and get talking. But as you say, just getting out walking and everything, it, it, it seems to be a, a brilliant, brilliant campaign. Well, yeah, not everyone can do running. Not everyone can cycle. You know, people are a bit, but in majority, a lot of people can you know, walk, it's, you know, you can walk at different paces, obviously, it's not as in, it's not as punishing on your body as, as certain other things are, and obviously it's free as well, you can get out, walk anywhere, it's, um, you know, particularly during lockdown, I mean, the amount of people, more people I've seen out during lockdown, and since lockdown's ended, the amount of people you see out walking now in groups, on their own, in pairs, it's it's gone through the roof, I think, I think it's, you know, it's something people talk to, because they had to during lockdown, because there was nothing else to do. As you say, you've got a community growing there online as well, haven't you? Certainly on Twitter, hashtag walking is brilliant. But just sort of, I suppose, in terms of talking about your preparation for it and everything, I suppose for for you guys, primarily a group of retired former professional footballers, it gives you sort of that drive and competitiveness. As you say, it's going to be an almighty ask, but you guys sort of more than up for the challenge and know your sort of competitiveness will will kick in I'm sure I saw you sharing a video recently out in training with uh, with Tony Bellew and uh, saying hey yeah. he he might be in for the running for the Everton job it, yes yeah well Tony's coming on Tony's been on the walk so he's been great I've got to know Tony I mean even though we've lived next to each other for years and years we never really socialized but we've got to know each other well over the last six to eight months we go out walking together he's a great lad um very passionate about mental health as well. He helps so many charities that people don't realise. Does so much behind the scenes, which blew me away. And uh, I just said, listen, it'd be great to have you on the walk. He said, listen, anything I can do. Obviously, it all depends if your schedule changes a bit, but he's definitely getting on a couple of days. He's, he's unfortunately sharing a room with me for him. Unfortunately <laughs> for him. But he's, he's been amazing. And, you know, there's 14, 15 with Tony um, doing it. So, listen, if we can all complete it, that would be amazing. But, you know, it is going to be a big aspect. We're going to have to pull people through because, you know, the first day will be okay, but then it's the second, third day where your body really starts to feel it. And obviously, the last two days is just about getting through it. So, uh, but we'll do it. As I said, fitness wise, my fitness is fine. It's just whether the body can hold up, obviously, the back injuries and stuff like that. I'm just hoping it doesn't flare up. But if it does, then I'll get Big Parker to carry me. Yeah, big John Parker yeah, carry me through it. Yeah, certainly do so, yeah. Yeah, so no, we look, we are looking really, and it's listen, it's for a great cause. It's uh, everything we do from now on. It's all charity. We don't make 
anything from it at all. It's all going to go. And people, this is the thing that we want to make clear. So when people donate to charities, sometimes you give 20 quid or whatever it is, five or 10, and you're not really sure where it goes. Even though you know it's going to a certain charity, you don't actually know what that money does. So what we're going to do is when we donate to a mental health charity or buy equipment in hospitals, we're going to actually show people what their donations are done and what it's gone on. Because um, I've done it in the past, I'm sure you have. You, you give money to something and you're, really, you're not too sure what it's going to be used for. So that's why we're going to make sure people know exactly where the money's going to, which they're, which they're donating. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, most definitely. And it's one of those, isn't it, in terms of, I suppose, the mental health thing, whether people have big problems or, or small, as you say, getting out and, and walking and talking, it is great. And I suppose that's what that's what we're doing now. Albeit I'm obviously sat recording this, but you're out getting your practice in and getting prepared for Sweaty. the walk. And, yeah, and we, we yeah. might as well sort of just, just have a bit of a, a chat and a look yeah. back, a, a reminisce type thing. We'll, we'll talk about Liverpool and sort of the present in a bit, but... We were talking just before we started recording, and this this summer, Chris, I, c- I can't believe it. Twenty years since you signed for Liverpool. Incredible! You said that before, and I had to take a double take. I was like, nah, surely not. But yeah, twenty years. Um, yeah, still can't believe that. Even listening to it now, it's, it's it does it. I mean, you when you're a kid, and obviously you you know you say to your mum and dad, "Oh, can't wait for next week," or "Can't wait," you know, till that happens. And they, they used to say, "Listen, don't wish time away." because it goes quick enough and, wow, you don't realise that until you're older. Now I'll tell my daughter the same thing as well, but time really does fly and that 20 years is, is gone in a blink of an eye. But, yeah, amazing time when I signed it. Obviously, the club I supported, my first game in 1988, standing in the cup. Uh, it was against Forest where we won 4-2. Um, yeah, so, you know, to be still involved with the club, with the LFC Foundation now and go to the games and the club, I've got to say, the club have been amazing with us. Um, through through the battles, obviously with mental health, John Activeberg, Matt McCann, you know the the whole club have have been amazing with us. Uh, Mark Morris at the, at the academy as well, and uh, it's just it's as you know it's a brilliant club. It's a brilliant club, and you know I was honoured to play for them. Unfortunately, injuries sort of put a big big dampener on it for me. But listen, I'll do it all again. Go through it all again just for one game because it's it's Liverpool. It's the team I've always supported. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Those days, the transfer sort of going through and coming into Melwood for the first time and realising your sort of boyhood dream of signing for Liverpool. Can you yeah. can you appreciate the moment when you're in it or is it quite difficult to kind of well, take it Well, I knew it about in? it. Well, I knew about it a few months before to be like, well, listen, I was getting, I was getting calls off Gary Mack, Gary McAllister. Yeah. I think this is well known now. Obviously, it's tapping up, but... He's retired now, so he won't, he won't be bothered. <laughs> but he, he was at, uh, obviously at Coventry when I was a youngster and moved to Liverpool. Did what he did at Liverpool. Incredible what Gary did. And then his wife wasn't very well and he came back down to train at Coventry just to keep his fitness up while his wife was having treatment. Obviously still a Liverpool player. He's gone back to jail and said, look, you've got to take a look at this lad. And it helped that I had two good games against Liverpool the season before. Um, so he was ringing me every few weeks saying, listen, don't sign for anyone else because there was a few teams interested. But I said, listen, I, I'm only going to sign for Liverpool. I won't sign for anybody else. Uh, if I was going to leave Cov, which I was happy at, I loved it there. Still young. But there was only one team that I'd have left for. And so, yeah, but even though he was telling me that, you still think, ah, well, it's not going to happen. Something's going to change it or they'll go and get somebody else. But, you know, for about four or five months, he rang me every month, every few weeks. Said what uh, Gerard had been saying about the way I've been playing and what I could do better. And then I got told to wait for the call day before deadline day. And, uh, 
I was a nervous wreck because I was still young and leaving home for me, I've always been a home person. I mean, that's obviously where my struggles started with anxiety and depression when I left Wigan to go to Sheffield Wednesday. And I was very nervous, but I had my girlfriend then, my wife now, Leona, and she made it a lot easier for me to, to when we moved up together and the rest is history. Yeah, but just walking in the club, I mean, the first time, you know Liverpool's a huge club, but the first time you just realise how big it is when we went away pre-season, I think we went to Bangkok that year in Thailand and Hong Kong. And you just see the fan base, you know, thousands of miles away. And it makes you think, wow, I'm at a proper, proper club here. And it was just, um, being a supporter as well, it was just a dream. Yeah, it was a, it was a mad time as well in terms of goalkeeping department as well. Was it? I remember speaking to Sander Vesterveld actually back in the autumn. And he was sort of saying that the kind of knew of the interest in yourself and that sort of in terms of the goalkeeping department you were going to be sort of the, the long-term number one type thing but Jersey Dudek arriving at the same something. time as well sort of was something you, you don't see too often I always sort of can picture you and Jersey there with Gerard holding the, the scarf up thinking yeah. two goalkeepers announced on one day that's kind of pretty mad but it was a it was a successful sort of dynamic you were coming into. Obviously, it's Liverpool Football Club, but it was straight off the back of the treble winning season as well. And everything yeah. was being geared towards trying to get that elusive Premier League title, wasn't it? It was, yeah. And I knew about, I knew obviously Jersey rang me, Gerard, and said, look, you'll be number two to start with. Learn from Jersey, learn from the team, you know, get up to speed. And, and when you're ready, you'll play. And he stuck to his word. I mean, Jersey was just incredible. Incredible goalkeeper. We roomed together. He helped me so much. Such a great bloke. Um, but I knew, yeah, I knew that just had to wait for my chance, work hard. And unfortunately, when I did get my chances, it was injuries that that obviously put me back out of the team again, which is, uh, you know, it's still sore to this day that it didn't really work out. But like I've said, just one game for Liverpool would have done me. Is that the, I suppose, you can look at it two ways, can't you? The frustration of uh, it maybe didn't always work out. But I suppose, as you say, as a little boy, pulling on that oh. green jersey just once would have would have done you. Yeah, and uh, I just remember, I, I think I've put the picture on Twitter many times of in a candy shirt when I was on holiday when I was about five or six years old. So yeah, just you know being a Liverpool, it was just special. It was all the family were there. Obviously, you never walk alone. It was just gives you tingles now whenever at Anfield and that song comes on. It I always look to my right and and see where I used to be standing as a kid with my dad, and I do it every every single game and I can still see myself. I used to just put me in front of one of the white barriers. Um, for obvious reasons and yeah I used to sit on that and watch the game it was yeah, amazing times yeah most definitely and um, well I sort of suppose as well you were you were part of that young English dynamic there as well weren't you sort of Cara and, and Stevie being sort of already established first team players when you came in yeah I suppose they would, they, yeah, and Michael yeah of course would have sort of really helped you settle yeah they did yeah they did I mean everyone the, the whole club it's just like it is now uh, they do, you know, they look after everything, anything you need, obviously moving up, house hunting and getting used to the area. You know, Norman Guard was out at the time and he helped all the players settle in, but they just couldn't do enough for you. You know, the secretary ladies, all the people on the desk, that all their hard work goes unnoticed, but without them people, football clubs don't run. You know, the people behind the scenes, the chefs, the dinner ladies, the you know, people taking the bins out, security guards, you know, without them, the, the place doesn't run like it does and you don't get the performance on the pitch, so... Yeah, so you've seen it now with Jürgen. You know, he appreciates everybody behind the scenes that people probably don't know what they do, but they're integral to it all happening and the lads performing on the pitch. Yeah, definitely. In terms of, obviously, 
the role Gerard Houllier played in you coming to, to Liverpool. Of course, he was the, the manager at the time, sadly no longer with us, but I, I suppose he must have been absolutely integral. And as you said, sort of saying to you, come in, learn from Jersey and really trying to sort of lay the, the foundation there for you to, to go on and, and have a successful He was. Career. He was amazing. I mean, he, he flew back a day early from France because it was international duty and Phil Thompson picked us up. He says, I've got a surprise for you. Someone who wants to meet you drove to the airport and it's Gerard and had Leon in the car and just made you feel so warm off of his wine gums which everyone knows he loved wine gums and yeah he come back a day early just to just to see us sort of thing which says everything you need to know about the man he was just anything you, anything you needed it wasn't just you it was your family always checking on your family asking how people were asking if they needed anything asking if you needed anything he was just a special man and he's obviously his memorial at Anfield and yeah, it was an extremely sad, extremely sad day because he was a special, special person and, mm. and a fantastic manager as well. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Um, and uh, that that's obviously shown in the way in which he, he led Liverpool to that treble in, in 2001. I suppose different man management skills or, or approach, I suppose, when Rafa came in because he came in off the back of success at Valencia and in the UEFA Cup and really just hoping that Liverpool could finally take that step because for those years with Gerrard, it had kind of been a continuation building on each year until obviously he was first taken ill. Then maybe things didn't quite pick up from where they left off. Rafa came in and did you feel a change behind the scenes? Yeah, it was, yeah. Very, it was very much football, 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 Rafa. And I think you speak to everyone, it was the same. You couldn't go and see him like you could do Gerard. Um, which you need, you need which you know I didn't get on with Rafa and that, that was well documented I know a few players didn't uh, but that was just Rafa listen you have to adapt if you didn't you won't play simple as that that was the way he did things that's the way he's always I don't know what he's like now you know, I don't know if he was different in Newcastle or but he's very stern very football orientated and football was you know what, what he wanted just to concentrate on the most but obviously things happen in life and you know you have problems and stuff and that's where Gerard and Rafa was slightly different, well, very different. Um, but yeah, listen, he's been successful and looks as though he's going to be across the park in a, in a few days' time, so that, that's going to be interesting. <laughs> yeah, going to be very lively indeed, I think. Um, obviously, your Liverpool career then, I suppose, Peter's away, you go to Wigan, play for England as well. That, I suppose, must have been a huge thing for you as well. And it's obviously well known, sort of, the, the family backing you from a young age and brilliant to sort of see that come to fruition I suppose yeah it was I mean I never knew about the bet until the day before uh, my dad put it on when I was 13 after I'd just played my first game in goal um, so yeah the, I never knew about it until I got asked in the press conference the day before the game I said listen I don't know what you're on about I've got no idea so I rang my dad and he said yeah it's true but he said don't worry about that just focus on the game and we'll be up there and they'll come up and yeah it was a it was a special day but I've always said it wasn't the pinnacle for me um, nothing would ever beat signing for Liverpool. That was the that was the pinnacle of my my career. But yeah, to to finally get the cap because it was a long long time coming. Really, I was in a few squads before and it didn't happen for whatever reason. But yeah, the pinnacle will always be Liverpool. Yeah, definitely. And I suppose now, as you say, you've had involvement with the academy, with the women's team as well. Just brilliant to sort of still be connected and associated around the club and and seeing the club get the success it's it's now enjoying under Jurgen Klopp. Oh, amazing, yeah. And I do. I work for the Liverpool Foundation now. We do incredible work in Merseyside. I didn't exactly know how much they did, but they do. They look to support so many people, so many different um, services they provide. So I'm, I'm privileged to work for them now. I'm 
we've got a lot of stuff coming up. Obviously, a lot of stuff's been put off like with COVID, but yeah, there's some exciting plans. But yeah, it's an honour to work with them now and still be involved with the club. And yeah, listen, Jurgen's, you know, there should there'll be a statue put up for him, won't there? Champions League, the, you know, the first league, the only obviously sour taste is the fans couldn't be there to see it. Which is, uh, you know, it's a bit of pill to swallow, really, not having a parade and everything. But listen, you know, there's more important things in life than football. And obviously what's happened with COVID, it put an end to that. But it's certainly special when they lifted that league and especially the Champions League again as well. Is it difficult from a player's perspective? Because sort of us mere mortals can only imagine it. And we, we have players sort of put on pedestals of who they are and sort of what they achieve type thing. But you, you saw the scenes in the city after winning the Champions League and everybody celebrated it. It felt as though the beginning of that next season, that was kind of still with the players and spurred them on. Whereas yeah. last year, certainly at Anfield, when they were struggling, it really felt they could have oh, done with it. It's not an excuse. It's facts. We've missed the fans at Anfield. You know, listen, you don't beat Barcelona 4 0 without the fans. It just doesn't happen. You know, they suck the ball in. It's true. You can feel it when you're on the pitch. You can feel the, it sort of pulls you towards that cop end. It's, uh, it's incredible, the feeling. And you can only know that by being on that pitch, but it, it's like something pulling you. And they do suck the ball in. But yeah, we've missed the fans. We've missed the players at the back. Obviously, the changes in defence, that's the one unit you don't want to change. If you're defensively solid and we proved that when we won the Champions League and when we won the league the defence was solid all season and not many changes at all so it's not excuses it's just facts um, but yeah the sooner the fans are back in and we get the players fit then yeah listen we'll be up there again challenging because we've proved we're a top top side with a brilliant manager yeah definitely and uh, Alisson even coming up with goals that helps doesn't it as a goalkeeper oh, my word. putting that header in that was just well. Is there anything he can't do? Yeah, he's been he's been sensational only since he come here. And but that was just something special. That was something else. That was uh, yeah, nearly nearly hit the, my head on the roof when that one went in. Yeah, most definitely. And I suppose it, it all now kind of getting that sort of third place finish last season. Canate being signed, knowing that Van Dijk and Gomez are coming back from injury. And the fans are hopefully going to be back in some real serious numbers for next season. All just whets the appetite, doesn't it, once more for sort of renewing that rivalry with, with Man City for the league? It does, yeah. You need a lot of things to fall in for place. You know, but obviously you need to keep your players fit, your whole squad. You need a squad during the season. Sam, come here. Sorry, mate. Uh, yeah, you need a squad during the season. And but having the fans back in, that'll be, you know, the thinking to a few of the players, they just can't wait for that. And the staff, it's just... It's so quiet in there and like every team, yes, but we have certainly missed them more than most because of the fact that Anfield is such a powerhouse with the fans in there. It's down to them why, uh, why you get the results most of the time, you know, to all the fans and the atmosphere it creates and the players respond to that. Do you sometimes feel, I, I kind of think with, with Man City, obviously they've got that embarrassment of riches that they kind of have, the depth that they have and the resources they have. But with Liverpool, it kind of feels as though every box needs to be ticked. Now, last year, there may well have been a gamble taken in the transfer market to sell Lovren and not replace him. And it obviously did backfire on Liverpool. But kind of those risks need to be calculated and taken. And we've seen so many times, certainly in the transfer window with sort of Michael Edwards and Jurgen Klopp, their judgment's been so bang on. But hopefully next year, all of those stars can realign get that league yeah. title with the fans back in the stadium yeah listen you need a couple of additions we've already got one there'll probably be a couple more but we need to keep the players there as well you know and keep everybody fit and you add to that you tweak it a little bit here and there and, and like I said the biggest one for me is the fans once you get it all back together and, and they start again you'll see a different animal again uh, but the way we finish the season obviously we'll be looking to, to carry that on at the start of the season and 
and try and get that league title back and then hopefully we can have a parade in front of all the fans and give the club and the lads and the staff you know, the adoration that they that they deserve for what they've done for the club. Yeah, brilliant stuff. Chris, I won't waste any more of your time. Uh, hope no, it all goes well with the, uh, with the training for the walk and the walk itself. We'll put a link Top to man. the... If you uh, can share it on there, mate, yeah. walkingsbrilliant.com. People can go on and, and donate as well if they go on to walkingsbrilliant.com or at walkingsbrill on Twitter. It is at walkingsbrill on Twitter and, and walkingsbrilliant.com. Yeah, no, it's going to be some task for you as well, that coast-to-coast. We'll wish be. you the luck, mate, and uh, hope, the, hope the back holds up. But, yeah, we'll put a link in the description as well. But, yeah, thanks, Chris. Brilliant. Thanks for your time. Brilliant. Top man. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.